I know the one thing I've been running into as I've talked with people is, uh, I don't know if you've noticed this, but when you say how they're doing, almost everybody's saying, I'm tired. Um, it just seems to be a common theme. Uh, that are busy, one of those two. They kind of throw those two at you. It used to be, hey, how you doing? You'd be fine. Now it's like, hey, how you doing? Busy. Hey, how you doing? You're tired. I mean, it's just like that's become the new word of people and what they're saying. And, and, and it, it's kind of no wonder why. Uh, I hadn't really watched the news for a while. And so for the last three or four weeks, I started watching the news. Oh, my goodness. I got tired. Like, Israel's mad and Iran's going to get a nuclear bomb and health care and Obama and hope and no hope and angry Republicans and mad Democrats. And it's just like I got done watching the news and I'm like, okay, I want to check out for just a little while. And then you add on top of that just the reality of people we deal with, right? I mean, it's everything. It, um, loss of jobs, looking at moms in the eye, trying to figure out how in the world to raise their little kids. And uh, sometimes I come home after my wife has been with a two and a three-year-old, and if I don't rescue them quickly, they may go be with Jesus. And uh, I mean, it's just like, ah, just all these different things that we're going through. And I think the, the common theme across the country as I've traveled a little bit even is just people are tired. And... I think that's actually a great place for us to be. I'm glad we're tired. Because for the world, that demonstrates that they don't have God. But in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul said that, or Jesus said to Paul, my power is made perfect in weakness. See, when all of us get tired and when all of us quit trying to run the world, when all of us finally give up and submit ourselves to God, God comes in and does things through us that we can never imagine. In fact, I think God has a unique way of ripping things out of our hands just long enough till finally we are broken of ourselves. And if we're, as we're broken of ourselves, we're reminded then that the Holy Spirit he gave to us when we came to know Christ, watch out because when the Holy Spirit gets turned loose in us, we are a group of people that are absolutely unstoppable. Problem is, during the late 90s and 2000s, all of us had what we call the bling bling. We didn't need Jesus. We had Uncle Sam. We had George Washington and, and all these other people to do things for us. And isn't it amazing as God has slowly taken that away from us? We're okay. We're all right. And it's fascinating, but coming into this, this, this world of just tired and worn out, Paul wrote a letter right before he died to a young guy named Timothy. And Timothy was worn out. And the thing that Paul came in, and it's just the thing that has been so impactful on my heart, and as I've talked to those people, Paul looks at a Timothy and says, you can't quit. You can't. The stakes are too high. It's too big. You can't quit, Timothy. You can't. Timothy, it's good that you're this way because Paul had to remind him just like when he learned in First Corinthians, Second Corinthians 12 that out of his weakness, God has made, his, his power is made perfect. He had to remind Timothy, Timothy, be a farmer, be a soldier, be an athlete. He was, he was trying to help Timothy understand you can't quit. But the thing that Paul does so well in the text we're going to go to today is he tells Timothy why he can't quit and how it is that he doesn't quit. 
See, in this world, if you think about it, just this onslaught of stuff is coming at us every day. I mean, it is just everything that the world has to throw at us, and we're fighting this current on a daily basis. And I don't know about you, but when I wake up some mornings, it's just like, oh, gosh, here we go again. And Paul comes in and he says, look, let me give you the answer on how it is that you're going to fight this just torrential onslaught of the world, Timothy, because, Timothy, you can't quit. And so go with me to 2 Timothy 3. I want to take you there, and we're going to take a look at specifically three things that Paul threw out to Timothy that I think are going to become essential for us as a church in making sure that we don't quit. But start with me in 2 Timothy 3. And look at verse 1. Understand this, Timothy. In the last days, there will come times of difficulty. Timothy, it's going to get harder. Timothy, as the last days approach, it's not going to get easier. In fact, it's going to get harder and harder and harder and harder, Timothy. He's thrown at him this whole idea that you've got to understand something about this world. In the last times, it is going to be difficult. And shouldn't it be? Like, shouldn't it be difficult? Like, if you think about it, when Jesus promised, he said, wide is the way and easy is the way that leads where? Destruction. But narrow and hard is the way that leads to? See, the the thing about what we believe in is it shouldn't be easy. We should be living a life that absolutely demands the Holy Spirit. We've been trying too long to do things by human power. And Paul comes in and he says, look, it's going to get more difficult because what's going to happen is it talks about in the end times is there's going to begin to begin a divergence between those that don't know God and those that do know God because this group of people called Christians are going to be this group of people that just won't quit. They will keep fighting it. At all costs, at everything that we do, we are going to keep fighting this constant torrent because you know this and I know this. As it keeps bombarding us every day, every once in a while we just kind of go, oh, forget it. And off we go. And Paul looks at Timothy and goes, you can't. And what's the torrent that he's fighting? Look at this, verse 2. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. Paul says, Paul, Timothy, there's going to come a time where meism is going to become so great that it's going to be almost impossible to fight against because as everybody's clamoring for mine and getting mine, Timothy, you need to be a group of people that fight back, back against that because it's not about them. It's about God, Timothy. Timothy, you've got to fight. You can't quit. You can't let the church buy into that meism thing where we just slowly start to make it all about me and we get all seeker sensitive and we get all weird making the story about how you can come to know Jesus. No, it's not about how you can come to know Jesus. It is that Jesus knows you and has some incredible things that he wants to do in your life through the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not about you. It's about him. Timothy, you got to fight it. But to this young soldier, this young athlete, this young farmer that he's trying to get going, I can just imagine him because there's some nights I sit going, how do you do it? You know those nights when no one else is with you, you're dead tired, you don't know what to do, you're laying in bed, your spouse is asleep and you're going, what do we do? What do we do? 
And I think that was the point at which Timothy was. And Paul, in his last letter, his last swan song, the last thing he's going to ever say in anybody through letter, he lays out the first thing he wants Timothy to do. And the first thing is, is this idea of modeling. And you look at it in verse 10. He said, you, however, followed. And then he's going to lay all these things in which he followed him. That word follow literally means to study, to investigate. In other words, this young Timothy guy had lived with Paul a long time. They had traveled together. They had done ministry together. He had saw how Paul had lived life. And the thing that Paul is going to appeal back to in Timothy's life is he's going to appeal back to himself and he was going to say, Timothy, do you remember how I used to do it? Now, to some people, that would seem arrogant, but Paul always had this understanding, like 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, follow me as I follow who? Christ. Paul said, you saw how I do it. And look at the first thing he did. You followed my teaching. In other words, Timothy, you saw how I handled the scriptures. You saw how this book that's been passed down through ages, that was written by God, you saw how I used that and how I carried about what God had called me to do, Timothy. You saw me handle it accurately. You saw me handle it with passion. Timothy, you saw that. And I want you to do the same thing. But now he's about ready to list off a bunch of other things that have nothing to do with this book and teaching it. It has everything to do with how Paul lived this book. See, the mistake that we make is we think that Paul was all about preaching. But did you actually know that Paul really wasn't that good of a preacher? In fact, he said, I was awful. He did. He said, I'm not eloquent. I'm a babbler. I stumble with my words. I think everybody thought Paul was like this guy that would have stand in front of me, you know, four score, and he just, he was this beautiful, you know, orator, but he wasn't. In fact, he was a hunchback, they say. He'd been beaten so many times and left for dead and stoned so many different times, he was probably hunchback, he was bald-headed, he had a crooked little nose, and he probably had a limp. So I doubt when he stood in front of people and had the, you know, Igor thing going on, that people were like, oh... Paul did not appeal to his preaching. And this is the thing Paul does all throughout the New Testament. He never appeals to his preaching so much other than he preached with accuracy and he preached with passion. He quickly goes to appealing to his life. Timothy, and the first thing he says in there, you've seen how I've lived my life. My way of life is the next thing in the text, verse 10. You saw how I carried out my business. You saw that I took this book that I taught to you and I was not a hypocrite. The very things that I taught the people, you saw how the word came out in my life. You saw that I maybe didn't speak well with my mouth, but how I lived my life was powerful, Timothy. Not only but how did he live his life, but his next thing he says, you saw my, con- or my aim in life. Not only my conduct, how I conducted myself, how I, how I lived in front of people, but you saw my aim. You saw, Timothy, every morning I woke up and what did I think about gospel? Timothy, when I was eating lunch, what was I thinking about the gospel? Timothy, all these different things, you saw me. My aim in life never was the end. It was always Jesus Christ magnified above all things. And I surrounded myself in such a way that everybody understood the purpose and aim of my life was about one thing and one thing only, keeping the main thing, the main thing, Jesus Christ. Timothy, you saw me. Not only that, but he says, you saw my faith. It's probably not faith like in faith in coming to Jesus. It's probably more the idea of faithfulness. Timothy, you knew all those times I was at my lowest. 
Timothy, you knew about me in Corinth because I wanted him to send you to me. Timothy, I was beaten, I was broken up, but dang it, the Spirit empowered me to be faithful nonstop. You saw the Spirit in my life that way, Timothy. When everyone else wanted to give up, when everyone else was abandoning me, for some reason the Spirit sustained me and was faithful. My patience, I love that one because I'm not. Oh, I'm not patient. He would go into a place and he would teach and he just knew he'd keep casting seed, just keep casting. And he knew some of the seed would land on good soil and some of it would land on bad soil, but he didn't care. He just kept casting seed. He'd start first at the synagogue and then go to the Gentiles. He would just keep doing his job, keep doing it. And he said, Timothy, you saw me do that. He said, you saw my love, Timothy. See, this is the area actually in my life that God has been working me over and over on is I always think I love people until actually I have to live with people. Anyone else like that? Like when I'm not around people, I love them. (laughs) And it's not them, it's who? It's me. But Paul talked about, no, I didn't, I never caved on that. I had a heart for people. And Francis talked about that in Romans 9, how this idea that his, even the, the brethren he had, the Hebrews that he was praying for, he goes, I love them. He goes on, he says, not only that, but you saw my steadfastness. The, other, the idea is long-suffering, that even though I was getting beat up and torn up, Timothy, you saw this over and over. He said, you saw my, my persecutions. You saw as I would come into a town and everyone else started kicking me out because they didn't like the fact that I was preaching Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and the life, and that there was no way to the Father but by Jesus. You saw me do that, Timothy. You saw my sufferings as I got left outside. And then he appeals to three places he suffered, Antioch. Iconium and Lystra, these three places early in his ministry. But look at this word. Which persecutions I endured, look at this, but yet from them all, what? The Lord rescued me. Timothy, you saw all this stuff. You saw in my life, and as you were hanging around me, and you weren't sure what to do, you watched, and as you watched, you started to see that I have a God that I serve that will care for me no matter what, Timothy. You watched it with your life. And he says, not only that, but all who choose to live godly in Christ Jesus, by the way, are going to be persecuted. This is going to be hard. What we're doing here, this whole gospel thing, it ain't easy. And I know ain't ain't a word. Jesus promised that it would go forward with blood It would go forward with tears. It wasn't going to be advanced easy. And the only reason Paul understood that he was going to be taken care of because he, like the writer of the Hebrews knew, is that Jesus Christ endured this cross despising its shame because he knew that dang well on the other side of that despising of the shame would come a joy that was amazing. And Paul's looking at this young man, Timothy, and he's saying, just like Jesus and just like me, I want you to be a good soldier, just like this lineage of people clear back into the Old Testament, Hebrews 11. Timothy, model your life after us. See, sometimes when you're, when you're down and you're kind of not sure which way is up and which way is down and which way is left and which way is right, we think it's weak when all of a sudden you're reliant upon other people. But that is such a lie from the pit of hell. See, we're involved in what's called a body. When one part suffers, what? We all suffer. 
See, at any time that we need each other, we need each other right now. And when you're not sure what to do, that means you have to look around and find somebody else that walks with God because you're not sure which way is up or down and you need to begin to model your life after them. That's actually a very biblical principle. When you're unsure, look for someone that you can follow. Model your life after them. But, Paul's going to say, be careful who you model your life after because look, verse 13 While evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. See, Francis every week almost stands up in front of all of you and he preaches good teaching. We're a privileged church because Francis is probably one of the best communicators that I know and he preaches and he preaches and he preaches. And I understand his heart in Jeremiah 33 when he said, man, I just preach and I preach and I preach, but it seems like no one ever listens and no one ever obeys. But no one ever bothers to go to chapter 34 right after 33. You know why the people don't obey? Because there's no shepherds for the people to model their life after. In fact, God gets mad at Israel specifically at the shepherds for not leading God's people. See, what you need to be able to truly live out what it is when you're not sure what to do, you need godly men and women to begin to model your life after. You need them. You need pastors in your life. But not pastors like Francis, because I would venture to guess a vast majority of you really don't know him. And in Hebrews 13, 7, it says this idea, the ones that teach you the word of God, you're to consider the outcome of their life, and you are to imitate their faith. This idea of modeling and imitation is so huge and that's why as Cornerstone where we're trying to move is to begin to get as many pastors into your lives as we possibly can because you need people to begin to imitate. But he says, be careful who you imitate. See, in the late 90s and the early 2000s, we started to get this thing called a health and wealth gospel in which people thought, you know what? It's not a big deal if I get rich. And everybody went out there purchasing things on credit, going nuts, taking out all the loans that we possibly could, and guess what happened? If any place shouldn't have been greedy, it's where? Here. And people are losing homes. People are now trying to work two and three jobs to try to stave their head above water. And because the church was not looking back and calling people out on their greed in a gracious and kind way, but back in the early 2000s, the church is now at a place where there are some people that literally can't involve themselves in the gospel because they were following people that they they should have been looking at them and saying, while I appreciate your desire to pursue those things, those greedy things are ending up one day going to come back to bite you and you're going to be ineffective for the gospel. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 6, remember that passage in verse 14 where he says, do not be unequally yoked? That has nothing to do with marriage, by the way. Nothing to do with marriage. What Paul's talking about there is he was talking about these guys that were teaching a gospel, these false teachers, and were trying to make people feel it was okay with their lifestyle. You can just pursue whatever you want. Go crazy. And Paul says, be careful, because if you join yourself to the wrong person, you're going to start to look like them, and when you look like them, you might regret what you started to look like. And so with it, this imitation thing, it's so important that we understand this, is that one of the reasons we're trying to get pastors out into your lives is because you need people to imitate. Because look what he says the rest of this way. Um, 
verse 14, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood, you see that word from childhood? Not only are we going to try to get pastors in your life, but here's the other thing. He had a grandmother and a mother, Lydia Eunice, that literally, as his grandmother and his mother, they were the first ones to live this in front of him. In fact, Paul looked back on his life and he said, you know the faith that existed in your grandma and your mom? We now see it in you. See, the number one person to model for children is not Sunday school and is not Awana. It's mom and dad. And Timothy learned this way back when, when the first people he learned scriptures from were mom and dad. And I'm not saying now that it's not the role of the church to be able to dive into the lives of people to begin to shepherd them and their children. But Paul went all the way back and said where it began is it began with this family and how the family carried out this in the life of the kid. Timothy, do you remember who you learned it from? See, one of the things that I desperately want in my life is for my daughter and my son, I want them as they grow up and as they begin to walk with the Lord, what I want to hear more than anything is, is the faith that is in them, they remember because they saw it in the faith of Lisa and Todd. See, the reason that we're trying to put less and less of an emphasis on Sunday school and on Awana is not because they're bad. In fact, they're great. But what starts to happen is we start to put a reliance upon something like Sunday school and Awana and we lose our reliance upon what God designed it to be, mom and dad. And as a high school pastor, I used to get so frustrated, I would walk with high school students only to put them back in the house with mom and dad. And when they get back in the house with mom and dad, everything that you'd call them to because mom and dad were imposters would send a kid off on a tangent. See, not only do we need pastors to model it, but we need parents to model this. The reason that I'm hoping that all of you begin to radically walk with Jesus Christ is because I know you want to have children that will radically walk with Jesus Christ. Don't you? I mean, isn't this this thing that you pray for? I mean, I think too often we're too satisfied with my kid said the prayer. I think we got way too satisfied with that. My kid said the prayer, which you will never find in Scripture. No, I want a kid that will endure to the end, the Bible talks about. I want a kid that loves Jesus Christ so much that is so passionate in love with him, if need be, they would die for the gospel because they believe it is the greatest thing ever, the greatest message ever given to man. I want to raise up this little army of little kids, not in a weird way, but in a great way in which we demonstrate to the world how much we love Jesus Christ. But it doesn't start anywhere else than where? Boom, right here. They need to see dad passionate about Jesus Christ. This modeling thing is huge. But I need it from some of you older men in this room. See, the thing about it is, is I need it so badly because there's, I've got a two and a three-year-old. They're not even junior hires yet. I've got one older man in my neighborhood that I love because I'm frustrated and I'm the kind of dad that's that suck-it-up kind of dad because my dad was the suck-it-up kind of dad. And he's watching me around my kids, you know, and my son falls off and like, you know, three, four feet and boom, you know, and I'm like, come on, get up, dude. Life lesson. Come on. I had to learn about love from this older man in my neighborhood. But we need it to be modeled and shaped. We need one another to be able to pull this off. But it's just not modeling that we need. Look at the next thing he says. Not only do we need modeling, but verse 15, 
How from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through Christ Jesus. This book. We need modeling, but the second thing we need is we need the scriptures. We've landed in a day and age when everybody podcasts and read books and blogs. And what it's done is it's taken us away from this. Paul says, you will not grow. In fact, 1 Peter talks about it, 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3. You will not grow into your salvation apart from this book. This book in 1 Peter, in 1 Peter, 2 Peter 1, uh, 17, 18, 19, 21, it, he says this book was carried along by, in a unique way by the Holy Spirit, writing it through men, writing it as the literal word of God, where later on in 3.16 it says it's considered even the very words of God. God breathed. This book down through ages has been crafted and put together by God himself, written by man, so that we might know how to walk with God. I love church history, and you wouldn't believe how many people have died to protect this book. Blood spilt over it. Because they knew that this book was sharper than any two-edged sword. They will cut to the heart. Paul knew that not only Timothy needed to model himself after somebody, but Paul knew he needed this word. He also knew it wasn't just the Old Testament. By this time in 2 Peter 3, Peter even talked about Paul's writings being scripture. Timothy probably had the gospels. And so in other words, when he said that all scripture is God breathed, he said, literally, Timothy, grab all that has been written and composed at that time and make it a part of your life in this way. Look at verse 16. All scriptures God breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, positive, for reproof, negative, for correction, negative, and for training in righteousness. Look at this word, that the man of God may be competent, complete, matured, equipped for every good work. People always wonder, why do we teach the Bible? Because we have to. There's no other book to teach. But as we've started to podcast ourselves to death, and as we've started to book ourselves to death, one of my greatest fears is that the people of God no longer read a book that people have died for to get us. God has kept this together, and he's kept it a part of our life because he knew that apart from this book, we wouldn't grow. In fact, in 1 Peter 1.22, it talks about this idea that, that this book is literally a seed. And if this seed isn't planted in your heart, this word of God, you will not get to be born again. But not only is it a seed that bores us again, but literally it is the thing that keeps us ongoing, growing. If you're not a person of the word, you have to ask yourself a question. Am I even a Christian? That's what it means. And then he says in 4.1, these powerful words, Timothy, I know you want to quit. But I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing is in the kingdom. In other words, he goes to the ultimate thing. He says, Timothy, one day Jesus Christ is returning, and he's going to judge the living and dead. And in light of that, I want you to do some things. I'm about ready to give you some commands. And the first one he says is preach the word. 
He says, in season or out of season. I mean, when it's popular or it's not popular, you stand in front of good the people and, and this word for preaching just literally means to cast out over them. You just keep preaching and preaching and preaching. Whether it's popular or not, you just keep preaching the word, Timothy. Don't stop. No matter what people say, you preach this and this alone. Don't preach yourself. Don't preach good stories. Preach the word. And then it goes on and says this. Here's another command. He says, reprove. Literally, that word reprove means to take, it's like as if I broke a bone and you had to set it back into place. Timothy, you're going to have to do that as well. By the way, that can't happen from up here. It can only happen in person. Which is why you need pastors in your life. You need men to come into your life and to reset that bone. Not only reproof, or rebu- uh, yeah, reproof, but rebuke. In other words, you need to be told when you're wrong and exhort with great and complete patience and teaching. Now let me confess something to you. Remember I told you I'm not a good parent? That word exhort means to cheer on. One of the things that I haven't done well as a pastor, just to confess it to you all, is I haven't cheered you on. And I've been thinking about it. Can you imagine if you've been told you're wrong all the time? After a while, my son's going to be like... Why even try anymore? But when I travel, I'm always impacted what an amazing church this is. I'm not talking a building. I'm not talking activity. I'm talking people. Whenever I leave, I can't wait to come back. Because what God does here is so unique amongst his people. I mean... Of anything, I should be the guy on the sideline going, go, 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 go. And instead, sometimes I've been like, no, we're doing it wrong, no, we're doing it wrong. It's like, oh. But to reinstitute within that, I mean, that's just something God's been laying on my heart. If I'm going to truly love everyone as a pastor, is to look at everyone and go, I can't believe what some of you do. I'm shocked how some of you live your life, how you give up certain things to accomplish other things. I am blown away how some of you even have chosen to give up large amounts of money or time to be able to keep the gospel going forward. But he says do it with great patience and gentle instruction. See, my biggest problem is I'm not patient. But love is what? Patient. Love is kind. That word instruction means literally to just keep teaching and teaching. Not teaching from a pulpit standpoint, but go into people's lives and teach. And he doesn't stop there. He says, Timothy, also, I want you to keep doing some other things. Because see, there will come a time, verse 3, when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. See, the other thing that scares me for this group of people is I know that as you get tired, you start to believe in things that maybe aren't true. You do. I do. And as the church that's tired, we need godly men out there just proclaiming out over the body, don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. He also says this, as for you, always be sober-minded. In other words, don't lose your head. When everyone else is losing their head, Timothy, you can't afford to. 
Endure suffering. In other words, endure the reality of pushing forward the gospel. Do the work of an evangelist. This is something God's been teaching me over the last year. See, people always ask me, Todd, why are you trying to roll this out in neighborhoods? It's because as I started to study what an evangelist is, an evangelist is one who goes and pushes the gospel where the gospel isn't. But I always was the kind of person, anybody else a a gospel bomb dropper in here? We just go in, and when we're done and they don't believe in Jesus, we do this. And we walk away. Anybody else? I was that way because I realized I didn't love people. I got into my house and I remember walking in and thinking I'm going to share Christ with all these different people in my neighborhood and all of a sudden God did something amazing in my life. He asked me, I remember it, do you love them? See, Francis talked about hell and sometimes I I think people think we're trying to guilt you into sharing your faith, which I don't want to. See, when I love somebody, I want to share my faith. And as I got into my neighborhood, I remember sitting there looking across the house at this one house and just being mesmerized and realizing I don't even want to want to love them. I didn't. And so that night, I remember just praying, God, teach me to love them. And I would sit in front of each person's house, about five or six homes in my neighborhood, and I would just beg God, God, teach me how to love these people. And last week, the neatest thing happened. On Saturday night, and it was at the 9 o'clock service, my wife got to do this. One of my neighbors finally came into our house, and she goes, i got to talk to you guys. And so we sit down across from her, and she goes, I need to get baptized. And my wife and I are like, <gasps> you know, and I'm the, I'm the guy going, yeah, it's great, come on, you know, we need to baptize you. And my wife goes, wait a second, whoa, 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 whoa. She goes, are you sure you know what it means to follow Jesus? I'm like, dang, girl, back off. Come on, she's gonna, we're going to do a baptism thing. And my wife, I could just see the love in her eyes and her just going, do you understand what it means to follow Jesus? Let me ask you a few questions. And my wife gets done and this lady looks back at my wife and she goes, look, I get it, you all are crazy. Yes, I want to join you. I get what that means. And my, so then the next morning we wake up at the 9 o'clock service. My wife walks up at the 9 o'clock, introduces her. We baptize her. It was the most amazing thing because it started way back when, when God started to teach me how to love people. And one of the things I'm trying to do in my very own neighborhood is to begin to teach the others, this is how we love people. Model your life after me, begin to get ourselves in the word of God, and now we're going to start to love these people because I realized every day I was going to do ministry and I was stepping around them just like a Pharisee and a scribe, just going off doing my daily business, leaving all these people around me that were lost and dying and going to spend an eternity in hell. But I didn't realize it needed to start right here. That's what an evangelist is. Not only do they work as evangelists, but he says, fulfill your ministry. And then the last thing he says is this. Not only do you need to model for people, not only is it central to this being the word of God, but then he says this. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, Timothy. And my time for departure has come. It's almost as if Paul's looking at him and going, I'm about ready to die. Timothy... It's your turn. Could you imagine that? The Apostle Paul looking at Timothy and going, it's your turn, dude. I'm about ready to hand off the baton to you. Don't drop it. Timothy, this started in a prayer meeting back in Acts 1. 
It started with a group of people that got indwelt with the Holy Spirit. When they got indwelt with the Holy Spirit, a group of weak people that didn't know what they were going to do because they'd lost the very one that had been called them. And then power came inside of them and they started to preach the gospel. And they began to take this gospel all over the world. And Timothy, I was the one taking it to the Gentiles. Timothy, it's your turn. You can't quit. And then Paul says something amazing. He says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. And now there's laid up for me this crown of righteousness. Timothy, I did my job. I didn't fight the wrong fight. I didn't get caught up in stupid arguments. I didn't get caught up in in arguments between them or this or the congregation and the leaders. I didn't get caught up in that thing, Timothy. I stayed away from all that stupid arguments. I stayed away from the stupid stuff that misdirected me. Timothy, do the same thing. Fight the good fight, Timothy. You've got to keep fighting. You can't quit. Henceforth, verse 8, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also who all, all who have loved his appearing. Really, the way that that phrase is crafted in the Greek, it's almost as if Paul is going, and I'll get to rest. You know those days after you've just worked your tail off? And you're just dead tired, and all you can think of is just going... That's what Paul was looking forward to. See, I think the thing we forget is now is not the time to rest. We get R&R, don't get me wrong. We're supposed to sleep and we're supposed to take care of one another. But I think sometimes we forget we're in a battle. I think we too quickly veer into this, just somehow we're just biding our time until Jesus returns, but we're not. And it's not against flesh and blood, the Bible talks about. It's against something so much bigger. It's against something that's going to require a group of people to not now try to will it out of the flesh, but a group of people that suddenly understand that we are weak and we need God. And out of our weakness now comes the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish a task that only God can accomplish through a group of people indwelt by His Spirit. And then at the end of our life, we can rest. I was up in the mountains a few months ago and um, we had backpacked for about 25 miles and I was tired. And I remember laying on a rock and looking up at the, there was a huge peak above me and I just thought, I don't know if I'd rather be anyplace else than right here. And then all of a sudden, you know those times where the spirit just goes, Really? And I started to realize that was only a shadow in comparison to heaven. Can you imagine your first breath you take in the new kingdom? Just that first. No more fighting. But we can't quit. We can't. I'm looking out at all of you guys as these people that have chosen to partner with us in the gospel of Jesus and here in Simi Valley, California or wherever. I know you're tired. I know it. Trust me, I go out with you every morning at five or six in the morning and I don't get home until nine. And I hear about all of you that are tired and worn out. But we can't quit. Quit. 
in a cool way. It's kind of almost now been handed to us and go, here we go. Don't drop it. I don't want anybody to come forward today unless you're going to be baptized. And not because I'm trying to be mean, by the way. I think too often we have you come forward and pray with somebody you don't know. And so therefore, you just come forward sometimes and pray and it just kind of gets left there. I want you to actually pray with people that you know. Now, if you don't know anybody, then we'll pray with you. But find people that you know, especially find people that live around you that you're on this mission with together. Go to them and tell them, I'm tired. I need to imitate you for a little while. Look, there are times in my life in pastoring this church where I've had to find other men to imitate because I was so worn out and so tired that literally the worst thing I could do is try to operate out of the flesh. I needed to act like other godly men. Moms, I know you're tired. Dads, I know you're tired. We're not supposed to do this as lone rangers. We need each other. And could I ask something as a pastor, please? Could we read this? Please? In fact, I'm going to throw out to you a fasting from almost everything else but this for a little while. Not out of a legalistic have to, but an encouragement. I know in my neighborhood, we're just trying to read the book of Philippians for the next month, about five days out of the week, just all the way through. Just read it and 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 read it. We just need to get back into this book. And the last thing is this. This isn't our home. We don't belong here. You can quit trying to make this home. Really. Feel free to quit. Our home is not here. We're only here. We're strangers and aliens. I give you now full, if you want to now, I've now conveyed upon you the privilege of quit trying to make this home and to feel free to start building treasures in heaven. Let's pray. Father, I love you so much. Gosh, God, do we need your spirit? I know this week every one of us is going to be bombarded by sin and consequences of past sin and all these other things. God, we need your spirit so much and we need spirit-filled people in our life. We need a spirit-empowered book in our life, Father. We need it desperately. So God, I beg you to open our eyes to our need of that, that people that are tired would quit trying to do this on their own, but instead would begin to find other godly men and women to begin to model their life after that God, you would truly get this group of people into your word and that they would begin to enjoy just the washing and the cleansing and the encouraging of a book that's empowered by the Spirit. And that God also then, you would begin to renew our zeal, not for this world, but for the world to come. God, help us to store up treasures in heaven, not here. God, help us to get rid of our autonomous arrogance. Help us to quit trying to find safety and comfort and security here. But instead, God, help us to learn to find it in the life to come. Love you so much, God. Do a miracle work in this group of people in your precious name. Amen.